Thank you for tuning in. This is our podcast, Healthy Families First, and I'm your podcast host, Dr. Raquel Lea. You can visit our blogger, texashealthyfamiliesfirst.blogspot.com or stop through our website at learn-edu.org for resources, tips, legislation changes and updates, sponsorship, and membership. We are listeners supported by members like you, and we've heard your requests. So, we have four advocacy goals. America's future legislative processes in family court, generational kinship and communication between parents and child, economic and educational freedom, and effective justice for parents. Thank you for tuning in. Now, let's get started. And thank you so much for tuning in. I am your host, Dr. Raquel Lea, and you're listening to Healthy Families First. Oh, <laughs> I made a lot of promises in the first, in the other episode, which was the last week in August. So today, tonight, I'm going back, I'm reviewing everything that I promised that I was going to update and actually update it tonight. <laughs> So work has been a little crazy where I've had an opportunity to get some hours in early. So I've gotten those hours in. I'm off the next couple of days and I have to hit the ground running next week, which is, I believe, the third week in September. So um, this gives me a chance to get some rest some well-deserved rest. It gives me an opportunity to get everything online, get everything updated. As I stated before, when, when we were testing the show that I wanted to, um, reach out and stay consistent, even when it's not as, um, supported by the board members, which is fine. I mean, that's not happening now, but that was one of the reasons that we, discontinued the show the first time, even though that book hit, um, global mail international acclaim, we kind of pulled back and we scaled back because the funding wasn't there. But this is something that I said, this is going to coast into 10 years from now because of the simple fact that the family unit as American ideal knows it is breaking down. And my hope is that parents and um, parents lead the way and have tools to stay in connection with their children and then their grandchildren. So from my perspective, from, and, I, and the perspective of my staff and my team, is that that's not happening. People are in somewhat of a daze um, here in American culture. Governments are changing family dynamics are changing, what a household means is changing. It is just incredible the amount of defacing that's going on in American culture where it pertains to families. And I'm not promoting one family over another family. I'm not telling you what your family makeup should look like. I am not preaching dynamics. What I am saying is that everyone needs contact with their generations. And so there are necessary steps and know-hows and preparation in order to do that. And that's the field of advocacy support that we come from. Therefore, (laughs) the next couple of days will be me catching everything up. You're going to be so proud of me. (laughs) The next episode. Um, So that's my commitment to you. That being said, I, let me, let's see. Okay. I want to mention, and I, and I told and asked permission to share this story. A, a lady contacted me, a, a young lady, rather young. I'll say she's younger than me. She's younger than myself. So that's young. She reached out and we had conversations and, and here's what she shared. She shared that she's 33 And she's a single parent and she has a younger 
sister, sibling, who is one year younger than her. She has another sibling, female, that is of age 20. And one more, which is the only boy, and he's eight. So here's how that breaks up in what she shared. And I did let her know that I'd be sharing it on the radio today. Her mother is um, not stable and not Her mother is in all of the children's lives, but sporadic. Her mother doesn't have a home or a place to stay. Her mother um, just had gotten her car repossessed. And my question to her was, how do you stay in contact with your mom? She said, well, I see her on the street from time to time. And I said, what do you mean by on the street? She said, sometimes she shows up in my neighborhood. Sometimes she shows up at friends' homes. But all of the children, all, all four of us, are kind of scattered abroad. And, you know, at my age, I'm staying with my boyfriend, my my um, sister staying with her boyfriend and family members that she's going to marry. And there's one in college. And, and then she doesn't have custody of my brother. And her question to me was, Everybody has an attitude. Everybody's mad at each other for some unknown reason. And I just don't want to deal with it. Yet I'm the eldest. And I'd like to get my family members together from time to time just to celebrate the holidays. And I don't know how to make that happen. That was her question for me. And so I'll share with you what I told her after this quick short break. One of the biggest benefits of magazine and online advertisements is that it's easy for them to appear before a target audience. While a newspaper reaches a broad spectrum of people, a magazine is designed for people who have shared interests or values. At Healthy Families First, whether your awareness campaign markets education, family, kids, parents, food choice, pediatrics, and or entertainment, we're here to help. Visit healthyfamiliesfirst.learn-edu.org. And we're back, and thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to go to ejunkie.com slash healthyfamiliesfirst in order to um, download any of the chapters and get a clear perspective of the book being sold Uh, chapter by chapter. So I'm sharing with a listener and she's sharing with me about wanting to get the family together and, and we're having some conversations. And my advice to her was this, understand what's your job, understand what's not your job. Don't try to take the place of your mom and dad. Enjoy your siblings where they are. And if that means phone calls, once a week just to check in, then once a week just to check in. And so I talked to her about her home life and she said that um, there's some dynamics and some conditions where she didn't feel comfortable with all of them being in the home. And I said, okay, then that's not going to work for the holidays. And, And her response was, well, I was hoping that we could all meet somewhere. I said, do you think that that's viable financially? And her response was kind of laughter, but no. Her response was, no, Dr. Levesque, I don't think that's, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, so here's, here's how I share the information with her. With the tools that you have for today, with what's going on in your financial situation and their financial situation and being scattered abroad, what might be fairer to you yourself as a child and not taking on a role as a parent is to reach out to your brothers and sisters once a week, whether you have their email or whether you have, you know, the ability to text to them just to say, Hey, how are you doing? Just wanted to talk to you for 10 or 15 minutes. And if sometimes the conversation can get heated, then that's a balance that you decide to go in with them. That that's something that you don't veer into that. Don't veer into the woes and woos and who did this and who do that and the dynamics. That means the conversation might be five minutes. That means you just may leave a recording saying, Hey, just calling to check up on you. I know things aren't the best 
between us right now, but I love you. Gotta go. Contact you next week. You would be amazed, number one, how exhausting it is. <laughs> because you may not get anything back from them. So you, if, if you take on that responsibility, you may not get back lovey-dovey. You might get back hate. You may get back, I wish she stopped calling me. I would, you, you, if you take on the responsibility, then take on this responsibility with an insight in mind. And that insight is, I'd like to start getting together with you once a month at a coffee shop. And it might not be everybody getting together for dinner at someone's home. That might be a leap of faith. And it might be better if both of you and the older two that is once a month, just you and one other could meet together at a coffee shop. It may not be the dynamic of three because you might not be able to get along. And it might mean that you visit your younger brother from time to time when you have a chance, but he will probably probably be open to some form of communication because of his age. He's young. That's a, that's a more acclimable tip than trying to take on a financial responsibility of where do we meet? How do we make it happen? Who brings the food? Do I have to buy gifts for everyone? And then putting a financial burden on others to kind of get there and then not when you know that, that economically speaking, everyone's not there, even yourself, you're not there where your home dynamic situation probably doesn't want everyone in the home. That's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that sometimes we can't just grab the whole apple and then swallow. We're going to have to take these small steps and they're going to have to be steps that we can feed into bite by bite, small bite by small bite, and then say, hey, here's a way to reach out. Hey, here's a way to reach out. The rest of it, you got to leave to God and fate. Sometimes communication fades in, sometimes it fades out. Where the ideal should be that where you're at, someone engages with you, that it's not so emotionally risky for them to then engage back. And you want to make engagement as low cost as possible. People can pick up the phone or accept a text and say, hey, you don't even have to respond. Just wanted you to know that I love you. Bye. Text you next week. Just checking in on you. Hope things are good. Text you next week. But then don't don't necessarily want a response. What you're trying to do is keep the lines of communication open so that later, maybe in a year, maybe in a year and a half, maybe the possibility to bridge some communicative efforts won't just come from your side, but from both sides, okay? And so that was my advice to her. All right, so let's get into current events because I just kind of want to share some some ideas and some things that's happened in the news real quick. And then I'm going to jump right into the book because last, <laughs> last episode we negated, I negated to do it. And I really want to finish up on chapter three and I want to finish up on chapter four and then have it out to you. Okay, so the reporting on this article came, I believe, this week, but it was actually documented in court filings back in February in 2019 of this year, and um, I was saddened when I read it, and it was the Trump administration saying that it's a heavy burden on the federal government to try and make an effort to reunite families, so they're petitioning the government to alleviate them from the liability of having to reunite families. Oh, really? (laughs) It's a hard and heavy burden to try and locate and reunite families. (laughs) Yes, Trump administration. When you break it, it's very hard to fix this. It's very hard. And the likelihood of it getting fixed is pretty slim. It's, It's going to be trying some. So in detail, here's how the article is broken down, and I will post it. So this is coming from the Department of Health and Human Services making a comment saying that um, from a human rights perspective, it's, it's, going, it's not going to happen. And they are saying 
that the level of burden is too great from, for what Health and Human Services does. So the Trump administration, administration is reporting that thousands of families have been ripped apart and that it's not financially feasible for the federal government to now try and relocate those families. And I think they actually put in quotes word for word that it's not worth the federal government's time. I'll go on. Additionally, the Trump administration is reporting that 2,800 children have been displaced under their care and that the children are not trackable. And the reason they're not trackable or traceable is due to their zero tolerance policy, which I, I know that I'm, I'm posting as well, the zero tolerance policy. And by the way, everything that I'm quoting comes from the Huffington Post. So you can pull the article uh, from, to, from today on my, under my articles page, under the show page, bbsradio.com slash healthy families first. And then you can read it for yourself and then reference for yourself. Now, it's actually the ACLU that's reporting and saying that these children have been given sponsors to be in the country. Um, instead of foster care, sponsoring families um, reach out and are taking the children in their home and that these children are not tracked or traced when they're released into the custody of what I suppose are citizens. And that these families, these, these sponsoring families for these children have been given and awarded um, the independence to make decisions for the children as though they were the parents, the mother and the father. And so, regretfully, so at the end of the article, it says that, um, and this is according to the ACLU, that the Trump administration, quote-unquote, the government, is saying they are not responsible for uniting families and they are not putting any money into reunification, nor are they required to do so. Oh, that's exhausting. All right, so I'm going to give four more minutes and attention to this, and then we're going to get into the book um, regarding sexual assault. So... Here's my response to that. The Trump administration is correct. There, there's a difference between moral standing and judicial standing. Morally, it's the right thing to do. And I would hope that our government would participate in doing that. But guess what? When the Department of Family Services takes children away from their families and awards them into foster care or award of the state or the government. When these children turn 18, they don't have any money into the system so that these children are tracked and found, and then they can reach out to their biological families. Thank goodness for Facebook. <laughs> but that's not what our government does. Health and Human Services aren't prepared to do that. They've never done that. And so I don't know why now... Um, practices are placed on the government to do that. That's not what the government is going to do. That's never been their policy. Regretfully, I do agree with the Trump administration. It is not the government's job to reunite families. And, and why is it not the government's job? Because no one thought to sue the government and ensure that there's a policy to reunite families. They haven't done it before we've had immigration issues. They haven't done it with regular old foster care. They haven't done it when children are orphans or when there's adoption process that happens or, or parents die and children are left alone. There, there is no condition and no policy that exists that says that it's the government's job to reunite families. Now, if there is, don't email me and tell me about it. Email Camille, tell her about it, and then she will forward that to me. <laughs> and at some point, maybe I'll post it. Maybe. Why? Because it's my show. <laughs> Our show sponsored by the Cognitive Institute of Dallas. So, <clears throat> now... That being said, that places a heavy burden on biological parents. 
when there is a parent-child split for whatever reason, and, and what we're talking about is right now is an immigration policy, this not only extends to immigration, this policy has been here under zero tolerance for a very long time. When mothers come out of prison, I don't know that there's a policy that says that the government has to um, spend some dollars locating her children. I, that it, That's wishful. You're putting a burden on the government that the government's not going to take on. There's not a policy that states that. The Trump administration is correct. The only thing that I believe is full of schmishnah, is the zero tolerance policy, saying that there's a policy that, as a punishment, children need to be separated from their parents. I don't believe that. And so we get caught in the middle because there's a reunification process, morally speaking, that we would like to see take place. What you have to understand is that that's us as citizens. That's us us as human rights activists and as philanthropists saying, hey, for the betterment of all citizenship in this country, we'd like you to know who your generations are. It makes for better citizens. It makes for civility. It makes for tax-paying citizens in society and in this country. We want you to have a level of wholeness. That's what we're doing. But no, this is not the government's job to do that. Or we would apply for funding today. So hold on for just a minute. Let's, let's look at how we're going to connect this into the book. Let's take a short break because I, I want to stay focused here on what we're doing. And we'll be right back. To hear more Healthy Family First programming, go to bbsradio.com forward slash Healthy Families First. Considering becoming a supporter of Healthy Families First for only $3 a month? Visit our page at patreon.com forward slash Healthy Families First and look for the membership levels on the right side of the page. You can support the fight for parental engagement and parenting, a mission and cause of Healthy Families First, by purchasing an ebook or Purchase the print book. Click on the affiliate link to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Book Patch at our blog at texashealthyfamilies.blogspot.com. Thanks again for your generous support. So I want to, just in case you don't know, let me, let me just start as though this was your first time um, coming into the show. The name of the book, if, if, you're not, if you haven't visited the show page, is Recovering from Sexual Assault. Um, and the reason we chose this book is because it's about um, the hardship of healthy families. It's about... Um, being, it's about the dynamic of families who have a perpetrator in their lives and how there's an accountability of all parties and it's hurtful, it's a wound, and it's really difficult to rebuild and fix. We're talking about diluted trust. We're talking about issues where parents should have known. We're talking about delineated trust or misguided trust where parents have placed trust in the hands of people that were not worthy of having it and children have gotten hurt. And as that child grows up, that child is going to reach out and hold people accountable. And what you can't say as a parent is, oh, I didn't know. It's not good enough 
when a child has been tortured through their genitalia and suffered. It's, it's not good enough. And I'm not saying that it's not your answer. I'm saying that your answer as a parent is not good enough to start rebuilding for the child. So <clears throat> here's, here's where I'm going with this. I think because life has happened. Life has just tremendously happened. I'm just going to redo chapter three. And we were talking about assault among teenagers and legal leniency. So if you, if, if you're in the strange situation of being um, assaulted by someone who was also underage. The first couple of pages of that chapter talks about it, about the legal leniency that these that, that the perpetrator is going to receive. So there's so many reasons why people get off, you know, and then there's so many reasons why people get more time than is considered justice. There, There is a, a, a law that says do no harm, but we know that our judicial system does harm. And so now we have to pick up the pieces as citizens. Okay. Now I, I talk about, and this is in chapter three, I talk about Texas because Texas has some of the worst family laws that there are. And Texas has, I believe, and other attorneys have agreed people that practice law in our legislature have, have mentioned to me when I was at Capitol Hill in Austin, Texas, that, um, Texas has a misogynistic view of family dynamics and um, parenting and women. And there is an undercut that if a woman wants a divorce, then there's a penalty for that. That it's her fault that she's breaking up the family dynamics. So there's some pretty brutal laws out there under family justice that don't do justice at all. And Texas leads the way in that thought. So I, there's a section on page six, it starts on page 63 and I called it when children attack. And I look at, um, a real case, an actual case about when a parent found out that their child was attacked by another parent, by another child. And I get into some conversations of what I consider a safe place and, um, how parents can end up warring between parents when a child has attacked another child. And so we begin to lose focus because now it becomes about the parent and not the teens or preteens that are involved. So in that state, and in the book, we reference, we reference DFPS as the Department of Family Protective Services, okay? And each state has its own way of referencing and I'll let you do the work on your state and how um, health, health and Human Services protects children and what the name of the department could be. Now, Family Services has a way of weeding out adequate versus, um, I'm going to call them depraved parents, parents that have no idea what's going on and shouldn't parent. And it's, it's pretty, to give a person who can't pass a drug test back their children. It's problematic for me, but it happens all the time. It happens all the time. Therefore, to hear that a child has been sexually assaulted and parents lose custody of their children because their children were sexually assaulted is problematic. So for about 10 pages, I use myself as an example um, about my experience and I talk about domestic violence and suffering from PTSD and I talked about how on paper how I um, was viewed in the eyes of, of that particular county and state which to me I have my own opinion about that you'll have to look at the book all right so when another child attacks your child and you as a parent don't look that great on paper. How do you have conversations with family services? And when you're being labeled and stereotyped as because your child was attacked, it is now your fault. Does that make sense? Boy, is that twisted. 
and there's no accountability from the child that did the attacking or to the parent of the child that did, did, does the attacking. So Texas is structured oddly different. Keep in mind that this is not about you. And as a parent, you're going to understand that, that because you don't look that great on paper because you've had a history of being with an intimate partner and have had some family violence and family services has gotten involved and then you have post-traumatic stress disorder from the violence that was perpetrated upon you and the kids. Family services may say, well, that's your fault because you don't have good judgment. So your children should go into custody because you don't have good judgment and we can prove it because now your child was attacked by another preteen and so this this looks horrible because you don't know how to parent so we would like you to take parenting because you've made some horrible life situations and now it's defacing your children all right so here's what I really want you to understand and why I shared so much of myself in this particular chapter number one I need to authenticate myself to you that I know what I'm talking about, that I've had my, my, my stint of family services, not because I'm a bad parent, but because shit happens. Okay. It, it just does. And I'm sorry. You know, um, the second thing to authenticate myself to you is that I've been in the field of philanthropy and fighting and advocating for parents' rights, rights and running nonprofits for over 25 to 30 years now. And what I found is that socioeconomically disadvantaged people are looked at in a certain light, that your color comes into play, that there's a checklist. And when you don't fit that template, then you as a parent are going to be banished for it. What I'm trying to get you to see is put a human face onto what, what is happening. And this is not happening to you because you're a bad parent. This is happening to you because there is a template and the template was created by a, a, a Texas system that was designed for you to fail. It's been researched time and time again. So when you bump up against this template that Family Services has on what your family needs to look like and what you need to do as a mother, what you need to do as a father, if you don't fit that template, then it's a high probability that your children are going to go into custody. So at the end of this thing, I talk about four and five strategies that parents need to uh, reach out and this is in chapter three. I talk about, um, so depending on the Department of Family Services and, and what region that you're in, assault among teenagers and legal leniency, that's the, the chapter three that we're going to wrap up. I just want you to know that a lot of this, when you're looking at teenagers, assaulting teenagers becomes an assault on parents. And so if you don't fit that idealistic template, it is your, it is now your responsibility to advocate. All right? I have four and five strategies in chapter 3 in order for you to do that. And so one of the things that I talk about is how to create a paper trail. Family service is not going to be happy with you creating a paper trail when your child was sexually assaulted. Because remember, when they both are teens, then there's only so much that the judicial system is going to do. And then it's now your fault as a parent that this has happened. And they have been trained on top of trained on top of trained in this bureaucratic system in order to make you feel smaller than the gnat's fart. Okay, <laughs> so I talk about sources of information regarding the events and how to compile those things. We get into making yourself reputable regarding your situation. I talk about um, noting, noting whose interest seems favorable to the department. And if it's not yours, then you need to consider that. I talk about consider who you're talking to. And then I talk about um, envisioning a helpful and hopeful future for your children. So it's a pretty exhaustive read. It's about 40 pages. Um, and the font's not that big. <laughs> Let's take a short break and then we'll go to the next perspective.
As an NGO, the Cognitive Institute of Dallas and Technology is a nonprofit active in education, philanthropy, and other areas to affect change according to objectives in cybersecurity. While they support a format for vendors to offer courses, more often, hosted events require organizational sponsorship and planning. Included is a suite of interactive learning tools for stimulating scenarios such as cyber attacks. They offer software development, security courses for professionals and CE units. Visit their website today. And we're back. And so thank you so much for listening in. I'm Dr. Raquel Leah, and you're listening to Healthy Families First. All right, so lastly, I just want to mention for that chapter, um, I also get into talking about if your goal is vengeance. And as a parent... It, there's not one parent that's dealt with family services that, that does not model some form of vengeance. It's going to come up. It's going to come out. You're going to have to contain, restrain, and conform to some things. And I know you don't want to do that. I know you don't want to get some back down, but there's a time for it. And if vengeance comes out untimely, there's a consequence for that. These people wait and thrive. Most social workers have psychological issues. And now you as the parent is their problem. Problems that they should be resolving with their own parents. But they take that out on you. They make comments. They assume things. They do all that kind of stuff. And I can't, I'm not even going to go into their psyche and what's going on. I just can't. I'm here to advocate for the parent, not the social worker. So just understand that it's a really difficult read chapter three, but I'm going to put it out there and I want you to take advantage of it. And it gets into a lot of vengeance and I don't want you to have displaced vengeance or untimely vengeance where now there's a penalty and a cost for that because you will feel like you're going to strangle someone to death. Now, unfortunately I have to go on to chapter four. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to place chapter three in its chapter by itself and then I'm going to place chapter four in its chapter okay so when you go to ejunkie.com slash healthy families first it's going that that's just the setup you're gonna have to um, for this particular audio clap back to the previous show and then clap back up to this show and then you can put together and follow along in chapters three and four but I have to get through chapter four today because next week I kind of want to do just a, a show I think it just depends on what goes on so much happens in the media in a two-week period but I think I just want to do a show on joy and happiness and, and something like that talking about committed relationships I'm not sure we'll piece it together I might do chapter five you never know but let's at least get through this chapter four so chapter four um, in the second half I'm going to talk about assaults not involving violence or weapons in chapter three, I talk about when the offender and the victim are under the age of 18, then less than 27% of those cases are, are considered criminal and even lower number than that are convictions. All right. Now, keeping that in mind, we're going to talk about assaults that don't involve physical violence or weapons, which means that it may be perceived that your child wanted the sexual assault toward them. I know this is tough. So there's a famous case out there. And, and again, chapter four gets kind of uh, interesting because when we went up for publication, we did not have a chance to unchange some of the, um, well, let's just say during the printing process, the way they scan, some of the words can be digitized. So you have to bear with the first page. Okay. So there's a famous case. Um, 
and it's a national case, and it, it talks about the facts surrounding State versus Rusk, and there's a case briefing on it, and I might post it. Yeah, I'm going to post it. And so there's a rape case that considers, and this case comes up a lot to justify how if there's no physical violence or weapons, that it's not actually rape and that it's consensual. Now, that's used a lot when, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to say that <laughs> because I don't, want, I don't want you to zone out into utter madness and mayhem. So I'm going to hold that last thought. I won't go into that. You would, it would just be utter madness, and I don't want you to be in that space. So let me move forward. Let, let me tell you the page we're going to start on. So I outlined that case perfectly for you to understand it if you can't find it, but I'm going to post it. So in chapter four, you can look at that case and talk about what's considered a minor, what rape is considered, and um, how victims and the abuser can possibly turn into just madness when a parent or an adult is reporting child sexual abuse. Okay. So I referenced 1992 and a case with, um, I think her name was Deborah. Let me, let me just look. Dennis and Deborah uh, Garo. And um, how the child care home involved three minor children, a 14 year old son, and a molested plaintiff. It gets really ugly. You'll have to read the chapter to kind of get into it, but here's the point. Family Services looked at the child environment, and, and this case ended up where the parents repeatedly and supposedly was at fault for the sexual abuse of the child. Now, that is straight-up madness and mayhem, but that's not the madness and mayhem that I didn't want to mention to take you to that space. <laughs> I'm just saying that when you read what I wrote, you will understand how... There is a template and a protocol, and if you don't fit into someone else's template, depending on what state you're in, then you could be perceived as the aggressor and the guilty party as a parent when your child is sexually assaulted, okay? There, is, there are huge generalizations that are made by family services that when you don't have the right to talk because you have an attorney... You have no right to just blurt out and defend yourself. You're going to be perceived as being out of order. And testimony will never be heard. This is an 18 to 24 month process that you probably haven't had access to your children. And so they're feeling a certain kind of way. And have probably made statements in counseling. This can get ugly. And I don't want you to feel as a parent that it's because there's something you did wrong this template has been stable, tried, and true. Foster care is a real money maker to any state. And so the best interest of the child, according to whatever judicial system you're up against, they may feel like the best interest is not you. Now, does, does shit happen when they're in foster care? You know what? I don't want to be cursing because then iHeartRadio is not going to pick me up. So let me clean it up. Do things happen? <laughs> When these children are not in your custody and now it's your fault that something happened in foster care or some mayhem and madness and now it's your fault, it happens all the time. But you're going to be blamed for it. Now, if, if this sexual assault you are reporting and it happens, you have got to understand that although you were not there, you are the parent and you are going to be scrutinized. And if it can be blamed on you... Probably, depending on your state, it will be. And if it's a teen under age, I've got the documents and the case studies to prove in that chapter that they're going to get off. And I need you as a parent to hold your vengeance. If that child is not talking to you because now you are accountable, there's a difference between accountability and responsibility. That child is coming to you broken with skewed way of thinking at things. And I need you to be there for the child and not getting your feelings and emotions. It is not the time. I want you to be there for your generations. I don't want there to be a generational split. 
and break down. You cannot give them that much. You understand? All right. So there was a point that I wanted to make and I didn't want you to miss it. Um, on page 120, I get in, this is chapter four. I get into past parenting. And if you don't have a relationship with your child, past parenting is important. Children remember the good and the bad, but everybody tends to remember the bad, the broken, and the wounds more than they do the healthy dynamics of relationships. So you're going to be the reason that they hate you, and everything that you did wonderful, they're going to forget as though it was a wish in the wind. And so you will have these seeds and opportunities and moments to bring up your past parenting when you were effective in their life. But you can't do that if you're in a space of vengeance. You can't do that if you do not understand that your child has been crippled without you. And I need you to stay in that space and I need you to take some bruises because they're going to throw some punches at you emotionally. So being in a space where I'm not saying... It's your fault. I'm saying that you've got to get through their hurt and their pain during confrontating confrontations so that you can get down to the meat of I love you. Now, let's put a pin in that and discuss it when we're in counseling. I'm sorry that that happened to you. Can I hold you? I wish I was there. Can I cry with you? That was my responsibility and I wasn't there. You understand how it's going to work? So in chapter four, if you are reporting sexual assault or sexual abuse and there's a parent-child split, it's all going to be your fault. And there's case study after case study to show you that family services all over the, the country gets it wrong. I even showed you from the Trump administration where they feel like it is not their responsibility to fix anything. Now, they will spend time and money breaking it down. But they're not going to spend one iota of time or talk about it in court to fix it. And let me just prepare you that in the next administration, whether it's the Trump administration or not, they're not going to fix it either because this thing has been broken for a very long time. I want you to remember that Trump is the Trump administration is enforcing policies that were not created During the Trump administration, they have been enforced during the Trump administration. These policies were out there long ago. And these policies have been pressed upon citizens. Now they're just being enforced as a zero tolerance policy. And by wide speculation and scope, 28 to 3,200 children have been displaced And so there's this big magnification on what's going on. But citizens have been prosecuted through different state level family services using these same tools. This ain't nothing new. Are you hyperventilating? (laughs) Okay, if you're not hyperventilating, hold on to your hats. You've made it thus far. So I I talk about in chapter four, situational awareness. All right. And what I mean when I say situational awareness is that I need you to be aware. um, Consciously of what you're going up against and family services really doesn't get convoluted until you have an idea that that you are going to be considered um, the person that takes hold of a penalty. Okay, I guess I'm trying to say it in a in a in a fancy way. Let me just break it down. If your children are removed from your custody because there's sexual assault, then they are surrounded by temporary people that break down and not build. They are building a case against you. They're in foster care, removed from you. And they are placed in temporary situations. They're placed with temporary attorneys. 
temporary social workers, temporary schools, temporary foster care parents. And all of these temporary people will break stuff down in your children's mind. And ain't, as a PhD I'm using the word, ain't nobody gonna fix it. Maybe not even you. So on page 127, I get into from safe places to the lion's den. And we really break down how um, it can be difficult because I need you to not just be in the space of your own hurt and your own pain and your own wound. You're going to have to take the lashes for the family and for the children. And that's your job as a parent. And I don't care how much you take. When that child gets a hold of you as an adult, you're going to have to take a whole bunch more. And that's painful. And I know that it's painful, okay? All right, so just tweaking it a little bit. In chapter four, I get a lot into persuasive intent. Because remember that this chapter really discusses how violence can happen when there's not a sign of violence and there's no weapon involved, okay? Um, So when we're looking at situational awareness, these are illusions, you know, when we're talking about persuasive intent, a threat of, if you don't do this with me, I'm going to hurt your mom. If you tell anybody, I'm going to hurt your dad. You're persuading a youth to take part in a sexual activity by threat. Now, if you, if you add that onto, and I talk about it on page 155, the use of branding and marketing in our society in our society, to sexualize children, it's there. And so now I believe that predators use branding and marketing to now sexualize our children. You know, why don't you, here, here's something that I'm going to give you. Hey, put this on, buying expensive gifts or, or wearing the tightest clothing, um, using marketing to, I, I, Predators are very good at what they do. I'm not going to go into it for the last um, eight minutes of our episode, but I do want you to get the breakdown of that chapter and look at it for yourself, okay? So I'm going to take a quick commercial break, and I want to talk about what children think when we return. Become a patron-level corporate sponsor. Tech taught by the Cog of Dallas and Technology, a private U.S. for-profit company founded in 1992 that specializes in information security, cybersecurity training, and selling certificates. Topics available for training include cyber and network defenses, penetration testing, incident response, digital forensic, and audit. The information security courses are developed through a consensus process involving administrators, security managers, and information security professionals. Visit their website today. And we're back. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, You're listening to Healthy Families First, and I am your host, Dr. Raquel Lea. I know... That this is a tough chapter. I know it. I know it. I know it. And I haven't really done my part as a host as much as I'd want in the last umpteen, umpteen, umpteen. And the reason being is because I have just been inundated at work. And so keep me in your prayers, my people and my audience, and I can do better. I'm going to do better. It's really exciting to see that um, the YouTube videos that were that I've been posting, people have been downloading. I think we have like maybe four to five hundred downloads. I'm always excited to see that. And these downloads are from Spreaker, where I did um, five minute inserts and five minute takes of just your daily dose of Dr. Akelea. <laughs> And um, before we close out, I really wanted to change a focus to talk more, really, just about children. I, I need to um, talk about how children feel. And I know that I rushed it a little bit. I went through chapter three and I went through chapter four. Chapter three <clears throat> is called um, Assaults Among Teenagers and Legal Leniency. 
and Chapter 4, Assaults Not Involving Physical Violence or Weapons. Here's a point. Both of these chapters really look at the injustice that you're going to face when your children have been sexually assaulted, and the penalty for that assault may come down to you taking what looks to what looks like being an unfit parent that's the point of those two chapters how you as an innocent parent can now get caught up in a whole lot of crazy it and, and if i tell you it can be crazy it can be crazy now those are um more than right at 200 pages that i went through um in in that small amount of time but I wanted to take a moment and talk about children and visitation, what you might be going through and what's the best approach, I believe, um, to kind of control if your child is not in your custody and you've got to get through some visitation and everybody's looking at you as though you're some culprit and you don't know what the heck is going on as a parent. So on page 145, I talk about how a parent can focus that um, visitation time to start the recovery process and the rebuilding of trust. And I want you to remember that your child is the most important thing right now. What's happened to them is devastating and they are around and being influenced by temporary people that will break you down as a parent in their mind. So getting into the child's perspective is very interesting and I know that you're going to take a lot of hits, a lot of emotional baggage. And that's why I would like for you to get the book. It's going to be difficult. But I'm reaching out to you saying I want at least your visitations to be um, fun-filled. And so on page 145 in chapter 4, I really get into some ways to spend that hour or to spend that two hours really helping your child begin to recover. I even get into a little conversation about arbitration and mediation during this chapter and what you hope the family dynamic looks like afterward. And unfortunately, if you think it's ever going to be the same again, I'm here to um, be the first one to tell you that it's not. If your children are placed back into your custody, it's going to be a devastating build. You're going to be frustrated and so are they. If they are not ever placed in your custody, it's going to be a frustrating build. You're going to be frustrated and so are they. Yes, it's the same either way. But I need you to focus in on something. I need you to focus in on this is your generation. It is your responsibility. I'm not saying it was your fault, but it's your responsibility to build that. And that means that your shoulders have got to be just as big now as they need to be in the future. If there's a parent-child split right now, then the best thing that you can do is focus in on how to heal that. And so at this time, I just acknowledge that parents may come from brokenness themselves. And as a parent, if you've never been prayed for, it doesn't matter what religion you are, it doesn't matter what sect you are, it doesn't matter if you don't even believe in God. It's about blessing of the future and how I pray that if you as a parent have never been prayed for, that you let me pray for you as though you were a child, that you begin to pray for your children, that you begin to understand that there are priestly blessings and um, there is a deepening in our society to corrode the family system and your children, whether they're in your custody or not, your children and your generations are going to need your blessings, okay? Okay. And for the boys, it starts like this. May you be like Ephraim and Manash. And for the girls, it says, may you be like Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. And for the rest of the blessing, it says, may God bless you and guard you. May God show you favor and be gracious to you. May God show you kindness and grant you peace. And that's it. And it's a prayer that is performed um, in my Jewish roots that I say over my children daily. And so I want to offer that to you. Be kind out there and love one another. You're listening to Dr. Raquel Lea, Healthy Families First. So this is where our journey must end. And saying good evening and goodbye to you today does not mean that you don't get another opportunity to impact your generation legislation, 
an effective change in your kinship and relationship with your child or your children. And as always, the vision of our broadcast is incomplex that you consider, catch, check out, and cradle simple approaches to parenting and communication. And we are here to help support. And in kind, your generosity helps parents' liberties and freedoms from constraint to guide and parent their children and grandchildren in safe and healthy places. Won't you become a patron today? Visit our supporters page at patreon.com slash healthyfamiliesfirst. 